Welcome to the Talking Black Art Podcast. I am one half of the crew, Derek Allsweed. Joining me today, as always, is Mr. Corey Hunt. Today we get into a new film, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I loved going back and editing this episode. A reminder for all listeners that this was recorded in the summer of 2020 during the heart of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protest movement. Uh, The Five Bloods was a brand new film at the time of this recording, and one of its stars was on a great ascent. Chadwick Boseman passed away weeks after we recorded this. And that, coupled with the release of the Black Panther 2 trailer today, makes for some pretty emotional moments. Without further ado, here is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. What's your first Spike Lee memory? I'm assuming it was Do the Right Thing. We were, we were nine when that came out. Do you remember watching that movie when you were little? Oh, I do. Um, first memory though would be that Jordan commercial. That's kind of my first really like when so I think Mark of Spike Lee is yeah, it's gotta be the shoes, gotta be shoes. Yeah, that, that really and like that kind of stuff sticks in my head more too than than actual movies. I've seen so many over the years that it's kind of like bleeds together a little bit. That uh yeah, that character Mars Blackman came from She's Got to Have It, which was his first mm-hmm. movie. Do the right thing. I mean, what were your, I mean, what are your memories of, of that movie when it came out? Anything? Profound. Mostly just the colorfulness, and it. In hindsight, it was really kind of uh, empowering and self. You know, give you as as a black person, young black person in America dealing with all that, and the the subconscious type things thrown into you through media as far as Eurocentric beauty and all that. Right. It really kind of helped counter that and make you be like, oh, wait a minute. No, we're actually kind of cool. I, that's what kind of really re- I remember out of it more than anything. Wow. It's just that energy of okay. just being like, actually, no, we're... And it, and when I look at it from, from like today, it seems like kind of a pendulum swing too, away from, you know what say. I mean, like rock and roll kind of type. That's what that's what's hot, swinging over to, to the hip hop. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, well uh, Spike also directed Public Enemy's uh, mm-hmm. Fight the Power video. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what year that was? 89, 90? That sounds right. Yeah, I yeah. was just wondering. If you yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that movie felt like something that had never been done before. Mm. I mean, obviously, this is based off of kind of research of films before it, once, once people, we became adults. But um, yeah, just, I mean, I think Spike starting with do the right thing just became this incredibly important person in in society in american society um he has a really uh interesting variety of films that he's made as well um with different looks different different narratives um most of them are around black culture yeah i remember watching um do the right thing when i was little much at all um somehow missed me like i think the first the first movie black movie for me that it really hit was Boys in the Hood. Okay. And then when you had you had the Boys in the Hood and Miss Society kind of back to back and um, Above the Rim kind of missed me a little bit too. I mean, what are oh snap? What are some other movies from when you were when that you age? say that it kind of reminds me of the idea Juice. that when when around that time is when I started really absorbing yeah. movies at a more deeper level. Right. You know what I mean? Where those other movies you're talking about is kind of like I was a, I was there, yeah. but I didn't really know what was going on type of thing. And I can look in hindsight and be like, oh, this, that, and the third. 
But uh, once you start getting to boys in the hood, then it's like my my comprehension level is, is up. And right. and interesting situation is I lived in that neighborhood. I grew up in South Central. And so, like, menace to society, boys in the hood, that was literally, we'd see them shooting in our neighborhood, places that I walked by and things of that nature. And so it was interesting. Um, living there in the moment, it was just kind of like, oh, we're on TV type of situation, yeah. you know what I mean? And then looking <laughs> back, it's like, dang, man, it was crazy lived, that I lived in that situation, yeah. you know what I mean? Because it was it was fairly authentic. It was pretty dangerous out there. But when you live out there, or for me personally, when I was living out there, partially because I was really young as well, it didn't really feel as dangerous as it as I look at it now and hmm. see it to be, you know? Interesting. Interesting. Uh yeah, those two movies coincided with um, Dr. Dre's The Chronic and then mm. the, uh, the the Rodney King uh, riots. Um, all those things were right around that same one, two, two year span, which mm-hmm. was just such a powerful time. Um, and yeah, as a kid that age, as you, like you're saying, I mean, that is when your brain really starts to work and like you're your most impressionable. You can have intelligent thoughts, really. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Spike kind of started with Do the Right Thing. Um, kind of opened it because you know you got to look at it from the business side of Hollywood too mm-hmm. so like that's the point is like <laughs> you couldn't get a black movie made with a black director it just like didn't happen I mean was Spike Lee literally the first Hollywood black director I didn't look that up but. no I don't think so but <laughs> he's up there I mean I'd imagine it's, I'd want to say somebody like Portier or something like that from, right. from that era right. I, I would have to look it up as well if he if he did direct anything mm-hmm. like exactly it. someone of that, of that stature I couldn't call it off my head but I'm sure there's someone but uh, the way that he was unapologetically black with his presentation I think is definitely a first right and what what clicked also is another highly influential director was the Hughes brothers right you know that was very but I guess you could that's off his tree so yeah man he's pretty influential well yeah so yeah John Singleton directed Boys in the Hood and the Hughes Brothers with, with Minister Society mm-hmm. um, and they continue to, to direct some great stuff uh, as well um, but I mean for you know as, for, as progressive as Hollywood is or is supposed to be <laughs> like the black presence in Hollywood still took forever it's still taking forever like you had a Oscar So Black was like that protest at the Oscars was like mm-hmm. two or three years ago or something mm-hmm yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a little ironic that Hollywood's taken so long. I mean, Black Panther came out in 2018. That seemed to be kind of a shift. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well, to where you got, you know, first black superhero movie that it made was a that billion break, dollars. That breakdown of that myth. Oh, well, if we if a black man stars in it, or a black actor, actress stars in it, then they, then they won't come out to see it. And so that's what uh, Black Panther broke the myth and show that yeah you can't I mean obviously but right now you're not able to even say that anymore because it's there's actual statistical data Hollywood just it. just took forever on these things even though the people who knew knew that there was a ton of money to make on they still wouldn't do it forever like why do you, what do you think that might be attributed <laughs> to I have no idea I mean some things I'll you know give an opinion on. Some things it's like ah, I don't want to speculate into, I like, unless I have read something or I, I got some type of insight. So that makes sense. I don't want to just say racism as an answer to everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I feel you. Um, we could, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a great. I mean, we have Moonlight that just won Best Picture a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Um, uh, we have uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. So Barry Jenkins and um, I forget the. Uh, Moonlight director's name. Oh no no no! It's uh, Steve McQueen directed 
12 Year Slave and Barry Jenkins directed Moonlight. Okay. Um, and then you have, of course, uh, the Black Panther, <coughs> Black Panther director, um, Ryan Coogler. Mm-hmm. So things are changing a little bit. Now, uh, we'll get to Five Bloods in, in a minute here. Okay. That said, we've just said men's names. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. still, you know, black women in Hollywood is still a big thing. Uh, Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. uh, is probably like the biggest star. Um, oh, yeah. And there are some more up and comers that, that, that I've seen like in passing. But um, things seem to be kind of changing a little bit in Hollywood, which is, which is long to do. Thanks for listening. I don't know where you're listening. Could be on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music. Check out Good Pods, which is an indie podcast platform that we really like. Go to Good Pods on your phone. Subscribe to Talking Black Art there. You can also subscribe to Self Poor. What we got, man? What we got? Go to YouTube. Talking Black Art on YouTube. Search it. It's there. TikTok under All Sweet Collection. It's there. Video of us, Corey and I. Back to the show. Let's get into the film. Let's get into the characters. We have uh, Delroy Lindo plays Paul. Oh my goodness. He <laughs> killed that so hard, man. So you that thought. He's a beast. I love him and I love the way he played that role. Yeah. What about you? It was, I mean, it was so dramatic. Like mm. every single scene mm-hmm. that sometimes I was just like, all right, man. Like, I hear you. But I think Spike didn't, he wasn't going for like hyper realism in this movie. No. It was like, and that's why when I rewatch it, that's what I realized. Because at first I was like, oh, that's kind of corny. Like, there's just like I agree. so much, so I agree. much. Like, I agree. can we pace it a little bit? It like, was, there weren't build ups to emotional scenes. It was just like emotional scene, emotional scene, emotional scene. Deliberate is what was the idea that kind of yeah. came to me. It was like a little over deliberate with a lot of the presentation of different things. Like with the facts, they were really putting real rich facts in there, but it was just like, right. It was just like, ah, okay, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so on uh, second viewing, though, I like, I loved it. You like that, I that, that rhythm? Head, okay. So I was like, oh, give me like the historical flashes and like it's able to kind of conceptualize a little more. Or, like the fact that each scene was so emotional, I was like, I'm fine with that. The second time, it's like okay. they're, they're trying to act their ass off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, Delroy. I mean, we'll talk a lot about uh, about Paul, um, his character. Uh, let's see. Next, we have Otis, who's played by Clark Peters. If you haven't seen the movie, don't want anything spoiled. Go watch it and come back and see us. So Otis is the uh, he's addicted to opioids. He's kind of like the uh, or is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. is he or isn't he? Yeah. He, he's a good guy. He's oh, a really yeah. good guy. Oh yeah. Um, really sweet, genuine guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of the. The rock of the group. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, if the, he if I trusted someone out of the out of the guys that were the in remaining story, he would probably be the one that I would go with. And since we're spoiling, we'll, we'll just talk about everything. So, um, I mean, he's the one that makes it out at the end mm-hmm. of the film. So mm-hmm. that that itself shows that he's kind of the the anchor. Yeah, um, he's a good guy. He has a uh, he has a daughter with someone who was at the time a prostitute, but uh, during the Vietnam War, but is. Uh, Seems to be successful. I forget what she does in the film, but she's doing well for herself now. Yeah, I don't remember her exact yeah. occupation either, other than what she helped them do. And he has a, uh, he finds out he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reminder that we need a lot more half black, half Asian uh, women in, in film. Yeah. <laughs> agreed. Totally agreed. She was, you that character, that casting, son of a, what the heck? Thank you. Who is that, that person? I mean, well, I'll tell, I'll say who she is. Yeah. 
Sandy Huang Pham. Uh-huh. So she is Vietnamese, straight yes, up. Yes, and she Let's has a thick accent for sure. But the way that she looked like she was their daughter, like she looked like a mix of those two people in oh, a that. phenomenal manner to me. That's what I was referring gotcha. to. What were you talking about? Oh, just said like, I'm just like, I guess, what is the population of Vietnamese black actresses oh, that speak fluent Vietnamese? Like, sheesh. Where do you, it just seems like a very small percentage. Yes. Maybe it's maybe it's not. I, I it's probably not, but it's not tapped into often. I haven't seen it in a film before. Exactly. I'll say that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, this is her first. Oh, he straight up discovered her. Mm-hmm. It's her only film. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, the casting man, I, I think, was top notch. I think that was one of the better aspects of the film. For I me. agree. I agree. Yeah, and we'll go through uh, kind of what we thought was good and bad. Those are two of the five bloods. Next up is Norm Lewis, who plays Eddie. He's the uh, pigeon-toed dude who uh, owns some uh, car dealerships. Supposed to be the wealthy, successful capitalist of the group. Uh, But we learn later that that's not the case anymore. Are you familiar with him at all? No. Should we look up his eyes? Oh, that's up to you. Yeah, man. I just kept looking at him and I kept being like, is this guy actually black? Because I don't know if it was the lighting or what. What It was something about the way that he looked. Because they did have a strange lighting. I noticed, Did you notice that? Like when the helicopter was falling, it was like super hyper green or something like that. They oh, were okay. kind of using some kind of technical thing. with the hues in different scenes. Well, so, when it went to the flashbacks, I think mm-hmm. they, they did that. Yeah, yeah but some about that dude's uh, complexion and that lighting, man, that was just like, is that actually a black man? And I had to actually look it up. Of <laughs> so I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'll let it be known. <laughs> them old eyes. Uh, next up, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who plays Melvin. I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, he was in The Wire, right? Have mm-hmm. you seen The Wire? Wait, was he in The Wire? Maybe not. Oh, he was in Veep. I think that's my that might be where I saw him. <laughs> okay, cool. He's a good actor. He's got a lot of. He's got a nice little catalog right like there, him. boy. I like him a lot. But yeah, he did what that well, that role well for sure. Um, he uh, he was kind of the. Oh, we didn't say so. Eddie like. He was, uh, pretty normal character. I mean, I don't even know how to describe Eddie's personality. He's kind of a nice, calm dude. Again, he's kind of supposed to be the, be the rich guy of the group. When he first pulls up, what I got off of Eddie, because I see a lot of things through this like. I don't know, I guess you could say racial lens or something like that, because I'm always studying that kind of stuff. But uh, when they all pulled up in the reunion at the uh, the hotel, the I, he caught my eye because of how he was dressed. And I thought that kind of was really a good nod towards like the non-monolithic voice of, of the black culture, which I think right. they did a great thing yeah. job of illustrating that through the whole movie. But that really caught my eye instantaneously. Like, oh, okay, I see. We're going to... We're gonna actually portray, you know, because first, you, well, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about the movie when we get to the movie. But no, yeah, okay, I think okay. he did. Um, yeah, that's a great point about uh, the the um, uh, non monolith or however you phrase it, uh, <laughs> uh, the variety, the diversity uh-huh. in um, their kind of just lives. Mm-hmm. And so, have we didn't mention that Delroy's wearing a MAGA hat? Oh, and <laughs> that's what I call his character. I could actually call him Delroy. MAGA. Paul, 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 Paul's wearing Paul, a MAGA hat. Yeah. And uh, he wants to build a wall, and he uses ethnic slurs, and like <laughs> he's like literally a racist white dude in in a black yeah, man's body. He's, and Candace, he's the Candace Owens of the movie. Bang, bang, <laughs> right on the head. And he's also like losing his mind. But yes, as he loses his mind, and he becomes kind of like a danger to the group. And he's all over the map mm-hmm. with his son talking about how much he loves him and how much he hates him and never wants him to like. He's just he's like. 
bipolar. I think that is a, a very prevalent voice too in the in the black community too, especially like in the South. Oh, interesting. Me growing up, my my pops is from kind of that generation. He went to Vietnam. He was born in 1940, and so I kind of really have a, a lens into that generation or whatever. And there's a lot of those men who come back from that and they have difficulty displaying their emotions like identically. They did a, a brilliant job of illustrating that characteristic of they're not all like magas. Right. But that PTSD and struggle to show intimacy to their children and, and family is is a real issue in the community. And though. just, you know, the bipolarity mm-hmm. um, of love and hate. Yeah, like, of just being like... And, and then this, the way the son was like... I, I know. I mean, you got a weird way of showing it, but I know you love me. You know what I mean? That yes. kind of it's it was an interesting dynamic and, and a well it illustrated the way they showed that. It's pretty uh, rough uh, topic. That's um, that's good to know. I mean, that certainly adds to the complexity of the character. Mm-hmm. So as we jump around, let's get back to a uh, <laughs> character <laughs> character development. Uh, so we talked about Eddie a little bit. Uh, yeah. So Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is Melvin. Uh, I loved Melvin. Uh, I love that actor. His uh, he was kind of the comic relief. Mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. say of the group. Um, the way he dies at the end too was pretty incredible when he jumps on the uh, grenade. And did you remember the uh, they did a uh, what do you call that foreshadow? Did mm-hmm. you catch that? Mm-hmm. So at the beginning they're talking and they do one of those historical blurps of this guy who jumps on a grenade. Oh, and he's like, "I love y'all, but I'm not. I wouldn't do that." And then he ends up doing it at the end of the movie. I thought that was pretty cool that they put that together. Yeah. Like that. So. Those are the uh, those are the four living bloods. The fifth blood, who died in the Wakanda. Vietnam War. Wakanda forever. Chadwick Boseman and Stormin Norman. I love Chadwick in this movie. He's obviously not in it too much, but um, just what a great actor, man. I'm just excited that I'm excited for him and his career. And he has like, if you look at his IMDb, he has like five movies coming out. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, it's hot. It's mm-hmm. like as can be, and he deserves it. He's a great actor. So every time he was on the screen. I was like, uh, I was captivated. Sure, um, agreed. The six proudly character, and again, we got all men here. And uh, there's really no women representation in this movie. No. And we, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, the six characters in the movie quite a bit is uh, Jonathan Majors plays David. He's Paul's son. Um, he's a teacher at Morehouse, so he kind of represents the new millennial kind of oh, educated so- person. And um, I thought he was fantastic too. Mm-hmm. I need mm-hmm. to come see what he's done. Um, any thoughts on on Storm and Norman or uh, or David, the the two younger. Uh, not too much on Storm and Norman, other than you know uh, Chadwick Boseman is a phenomenal actor and he played that role to the T, and it was an interesting character, of as far as like a black Vietnam hero, you know that's really kind of nuanced for me anyways. You know as far as not being a glorifier of of war but also being a recognizer of you know the situation that especially the oppressed were in in that in that time as far as trying to go to war so they could come back and have more right. rights right and so it's it's pretty dynamic character um yeah he was a real leader mm-hmm. in this film he see they straight up said he was their malcolm and their mm-hmm. their martin and um so all the scenes i mean those scenes, that was that's the thing. Those scenes weren't corny at all to me. The scenes that he had, okay. or some of some of the other ones might be a little bit, but like those, I was just like captivated every time he was talking in this movie. Uh, that's like a character, that like, cause like, oh yeah, like I want to be like this too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like some people like really do inspire you um, yeah. in their roles. Um, so Jonathan Majors, to stick with the characters in the film, mm-hmm. or the actors in the film, 
Uh, he's a Yale school drama graduate. What else has he been in? Jungle Land, Guilty. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I haven't seen that yet. I have not either. I heard that was really good. I might watch that next. I don't think I've seen any of his joints. He's relatively new. I think, uh, oh, White Boy Rick. What was that, like a uh, Matthew McConaughey movie? Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't watch it, though. I'm guessing this was his breakout role in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Wow, so this guy's really kind of an up-and-comer, too. Okay. That's, that's Spike for you, though. You know, he's going to put the legends with the up-and-comers. Right. We'll move on to theme here in a second. Uh, the most prominent female character in the movie is the uh, French woman who mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. kind of a love interest of David's. And... Um, She's there defusing bombs in Vietnam. Those characters were there to obviously represent kind of the French influence in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It was neat how Spike, you know, the, the main characters were the Vietnamese, the French, and African-American, mm-hmm. right? I liked that kind of triangle dynamic. And, you know, those played in a lot of different scenes where he had all three of those dynamics mm-hmm. going. Any opinion on there not being a big uh, role for a black woman in this movie? Do you think people will say anything about that? Do you, do you did you care? Or did you think about it? I that? personally didn't, but I still have much growing to do in my understanding of <laughs> feminism before I get ripped to hell on Twitter. I definitely understand I have a lot of growing to do, but when I came into the film, that's not what I was looking for because it was about the five bloods and you know there's not it's just historically inaccurate, you know, to try to force right. it into the situation. There's definitely room to have put that in there, but I didn't uh, feel that it took away from the rea- reality of the situation. Yeah, and I mean, it's about the Vietnam War. There weren't really any women exactly. over there. Exactly. Um, you know, the women that were, I mean, there might have been like flashes of maybe some of their mothers or wives, just like real quick scenes in mm-hmm. terms of any black women representation in the movie. But um, yeah, interesting. Uh, More I think on it, there definitely was room for that. You know, they yeah, could, totally because they have. were coming back. You know, and as they're coming back, if the son can come back, then there's definitely room for right. someone else, maybe. If, And that's always welcome. You know, it's always a good idea if you can put more people of color in film, especially women and, and trans people. That's, that's a good idea. So at the beginning of the film, they Spike just really does. I mean, the film just starts with Muhammad Ali talking about how he doesn't want to go go to war, mm-hmm. right? or how he doesn't go to war. Um, protest in Vietnam War, he gets arrested. It's a big kind of moment in American history. I'll just list off all the stuff that that he shows in like that first minute Oh, from the montage, yeah. It's like 20 things. Mm-hmm. And then if anything kind of jumps out to you um, that you're interested in, you can just say that uh, we have Ali in Vietnam, um, which gets into that, really the whole theme of the movie, which is black men fighting in American wars. And that starts from the Civil War when, you know, people are escaping the South to go fight for the North because that was their way to... Starts with Christmas Addicts. Okay, so, yeah, I'm not a huge history buff to you. So they bring that up in the movie as well. They kind of, that was one of their blurbs. Christmas Addicts was the first man to die in the Revolutionary War for America. Yeah, so they brought that up as well. But yes, yeah, you, you, you were hit it on the head, though, about it just being about blacks fighting f- for America. You know what I mean? And they kind of were like, we've been fighting for America since the be- we've the first ones to die for this country, and we've been dying in every war ever since. It's kind of what I saw they're illustrating. It's a smart, um, it's a smart kind of starting point if you want to talk, like begin with like kind of the hypocrisies or the injustices of, um, 
of being black in America. Yeah, it kind of illustrates that wake up moment too, because I was that moment of the 70s where where black folks kind of came into their own as far as starting to regain momentum towards civil rights after the breakdown of reconstruction and all that they kind of rebuilt themselves back up and were ready to get back in the fight type mm-hmm. of situation where protests and, and all that stuff started really getting more activity and momentum right yeah they showed i mean they showed the the riots after martin luther king mm-hmm. jr dies and said something like 122 cities there were riots like you look at that and i mean you know, George Floyd, I think it he, what hit about that was not just it was the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was like the manner of it. And, you know, with MLK, he was so, he was such a profound public figure and leader that I guess it would make more sense to, for there to be more violent riots over that what my hope, what I'm getting at is there haven't been a ton of violent riots that have been taking place now during these protests, right? And I guess I just wonder if there would be more violence if the person who died was like a, a more prominent kind of social leader. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I imagine so. I think it largely has to do also towards uh, ev- evolution of policing. <laughs> you know, they're kind of more militaristic now than they were yeah. then, where they were like attaching fire hoses to the thing, where now they got all kinds of rubber bullets and sound things and all kind of different devices to where it's just that much more difficult to really have that much of a violent uprising you know oh so you you think the militarization of the police is what's preventing more violence and destruction yeah because interesting I i think people were equally as upset to because everybody was fed up with the covid's this is all speculation and conjecture but from my perspective everybody was fed up with sitting at home from the sip shelter in place and then we all were forced to sit home and watch that and there were no sports there was nothing else to really talk about so i think the anger was pretty similar to when mlk was murdered i mean also because you think about it when mlk was murdered he wasn't really that beloved you know he was he had a low by the black community i mean by the black community for the most part he was but even in the black community there was there was split because there was you know the the militants right and then there was the the peaceful pro or peaceful protesters however you want to explain them so there was that split and then in the white community he might have had less approval than george floyd has in the white community you see where i'm coming from as far as like white people didn't really like him at that time where now though george floyd may have had a checkered past and was a human being and wasn't a perfect person more white people today are willing to see that and say he's a human being and accept his humanity that's a great point so if it's a more prominent figure, that means that that person, a political figure, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if there is, you know, one, there's not really one person like that. I don't think in the black community today, like one prominent political figure, right? It's it's really more diverse now. It's pretty split up. There's a yeah. lot. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of intelligent people you can go to. Sure. Great voices. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, uh, but yeah, but when, if you're political, now that means you have a whole group of people that don't like you. Mm-hmm. So now they're going to be more angry at a protest or riot right so then the white backlash to this today relatively has not been bad at all it's mm-hmm. been i mean you have like an example of everything i mean sure. everything exceptions to every happens. rule yeah but um in general it's like it does feel like the the white response to this is you know maybe it's kind of an obvious point is far more 
um, introspective and accepting than it was in 1968. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely so. I mean, but it's an interesting dynamic when you start saying if he was more prominent, if George Floyd was more like an MLK, what would that look like? I think it still would translate to your original equation as far as it would be a higher outrage, you know, yeah. if, if he was actually even I mean, because this was because he was a human being. But if he was a human being and beloved by the community yeah. or, or multiple communities, because he was actually beloved by his community right. in Houston, for sure. Um, yeah. So the response would have been probably stronger, more violent and the backlash would have been stronger, more violent. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact is that he... You know, people in these situations, they turn into martyrs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they didn't ask for it, though. So I feel it feels a little insensitive or fucked up to to call people who were killed by cops that. But in effect, that's what they become. Kind of like after the fact, they become that. Yeah, it's like a fact of life yeah. type of situation. And he... Um, yeah, for some of those reasons that we just said and others, I mean, this might just be like the right balance of, <laughs> I don't know, it almost sounds insensitive to even talk about it in this way. It's like it's not respecting that man's life or because we're just talking about kind of the effect that his death had or how important his death is, you know what I'm saying, or how influential uh, his death is. Um, I hear that. I mean, I think his son, there was, didn't his son, like he was, his uncle was holding his son, he said, like daddy changed the world yeah yeah that was Stephen Jackson which was like his his god his son's godfather Stephen Jackson from the NBA he knew Stephen Jackson yeah cause every I mean I thought like they look alike or his brother looks George Floyd's brother looks a lot like Stephen Jackson I was wondering if they were yeah like, they were like best friends or like really really good friends and so yeah Stephen has been really on the forefront of trying to help out the family and, and guide the narrative and things of that nature hmm. but yeah he was a prominent figure in Houston like if you look at, I forget what the video was. He's like in music videos and stuff like that. Really? He, well, he was in Minneapolis. Yeah, but he's from Houston. Okay. So he's like a prominent Houston figure where a lot of people out there really know him, and he was pretty well beloved. Yeah, Minneapolis is such a, is really kind of a surprisingly diverse place um, to people who've never been there. I mean, you have like, I've never been. You have, I don't know the stats, but I mean, you have a relatively big African American population. I think like. There's some specific countries that migrated there, like Eritrean mm. and um, some other African countries. And, uh, you know, you have people like Ilhan Omar, who's a, who's a mm -hmm. congressperson there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, usually you know, when I think it, most people think of Minnesota, I think they just think like white people playing hockey. But um, now it's become kind of the epicenter. Is that, see, that's how little I know about Minneapolis. I know it's the yeah. Twin Cities and it's... The other twins. St. Paul's the other one. St. Yeah. Paul. I was about to answer that and just ruined that. That's <laughs> good, but we're good. Okay, I'll continue here. Uh, the tangents are good, though. All right, so he uh, mentions Malcolm, of course. Neil Armstrong is brought up at the beginning. I think out of the, you know, 15 different figures, I don't know exactly how he was tying that into civil rights. I'm not figuring that one either. I, I think it? it had to do with like spending money on space exploration instead of putting it into the community. I think that's what why that was included in there. I will not be able to speculate because there was so much going on. I imagine there is like 
it was in a chronological order of a situation. Yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, a yeah. That's story how it was. or whatever. So I imagine it was something that would happen right before that scene and right after that. If I saw those two scenes, and I would be better to probably. Well, there was he showed. There's one quick scene where it shows somebody holding a sign that says like, it "Costs twelve dollars a day to feed an astronaut, there you eight dollars a day there to feed." Uh, that explains it. A uh, homeless person or something. So yeah, talking about priorities of spending. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, so we have Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics. Um, Kwame Toure, which I, I forget who Black who Panther he was. or no, he wasn't a Black Panther. It was uh, maybe it was Snick. But yeah, he was a black uh, activist from yeah. the from the Black Panther days. Um, so on that note, activist activism mm-hmm. is that it seems like that maybe some people in the community online are starting to give you that moniker. Is, is that true? And if so, how does that make you feel? I think anyone who is actively doing any social justice, I, that justice term is a struggle is a struggle <laughs> yeah. for me because there's got to be something more concise, but I'll, I'll change that when I come up with it. Does it seem kind of absurd if, if somebody calls you that in the community or is it something that you take seriously or that, that it's important or that has some type of power in itself? Or If people call me an activist, <laughs> I definitely take that seriously and like it, it puts this honor in my heart of like, okay, because I've been doing the same thing for a long time. But when other people acknowledge that they're paying attention, then that kind of makes it be like, okay, then I'm responsible for these people. And it just kind of builds up the the, the understanding of the responsibility, I guess. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if I'm out here just by myself and it feels like no one's looking, I might get a little slop- <laughs> sloppier with it, you know what I mean? Because I'm just trying to figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, if I got a, a boat behind me that's dependent on what I got going on, then I kind of take it a little bit more... Uh, Measured, yeah. No, that's a great point. I, I, the next question I was going to ask was, you know, what what is an activist in twenty twenty? But I think you just answered it. It's just <laughs> just means that people are paying attention to what you're saying. That's all. I don't know. I don't even think even anybody needs to be paying attention to what you're saying. I think if you're just being active, you know, I think that's being an activist. If you're actively, you know, approaching a problem of, of of what you see what you see as a problem in the world, then you're an activist. But that's just my personal uh, definition of it. It's great. Um, Marvin Gaye was the kind of the soundtrack of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, Marvin Gaye memories or feelings or stories from from your life personally? Man, going to baseball practice, my dad would always play. You know, the oldies. And Marvin Gaye was high high on that list for sure. So yeah, whenever that comes up, that's kind of what comes to mind. And side note, also just about the movie, as I as my dad comes up, uh, it was Father's Day when I happened to be watching it, and I didn't even know what the movie was about. I just had friends telling me, "Oh yeah, Five Bloods on Netflix. Five Bloods on Netflix." I was like, "Okay," and then uh, I happened to. So I start watching it and I realize it's a Vietnam movie. That was his favorite. And so I thought that was really ironic and interesting. Cool, cool. Did he did he pass away? Yeah, he passed away. Uh, it's been two and a half years now, yeah. Um, and you said your grandfather was in Vietnam or he was? He was. He my, was. My dad, yeah. He was born in 1940. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he, I'm adopted, so he he actually didn't birth me particularly, but he, okay. he raised me. So, yeah, he was... 
twenty something in the civil rights movement. You know, what wow. I mean? so he's seen a lot. And uh, was I mean the the story you always hear is that nobody ever talks about their time over there. Did he talk to you about? He it? did not. Yeah. He did not. I never really asked. And as he passed, I'm like, man, why didn't I ask more questions? Well, yeah. you know, in hindsight, I was like, oh, why didn't I do this? But yeah. yeah. So no, we never really talked about it. But he loved, like I said, he loved like war movies and westerns and stuff like that. And he wasn't really the type to be like, oh, you know, have like wild flashbacks and things like that in a negative manner. For the most part, man, there might have been like one or two over 30 years. Right. Right. I'm trying to remember. My 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 dad was a. Um, was a Vietnam War protester, so we were in Maryland, D.C. area. Okay. So he was like on the you know Capitol steps protesting. Um, so I remember him showing me um, kind of photos of that at a young age too, which got me on that <laughs> kind of uh, philosophy. You know, at a young age, kind of an anti-war mm-hmm. person. And my mom's side of the family was all that. My my grandpa was in the World War Two, and but he was part of Veterans for Peace. So. Um, I guess I kind of come from a from an anti-war uh, activist family too. My grandpa used to march a lot in Veterans for Peace marches. Um, yeah, when my dad came back, he was anti-war yeah. by the time. So he was like, "Don't do, don't, <laughs> don't go doing none of that stuff because they don't give a damn about you." Type. Yeah, that kind of personality. So he's kind of he probably would would have been interested in joining like a Veterans for Peace. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. But he was kind of like. To himself, he was the most lovingest dude, but he wasn't. He was not an activist. Gotcha. You know? He was like a just a community dude, love his neighbors and try to deal with his neighbors and things like that as much as possible, and just show love in, in the, his immediate surroundings. But as far as like really getting dug into anything political, yeah. he was he wasn't that guy. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, we'll continue with this list uh, of stuff that Spike flashed at the beginning of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he brings up Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. Um, Agent Orange gets referenced at the end of the film mm-hmm. when Paul uh, reveals. He does these really cool shots where he's talking directly to the camera, mm-hmm. kind of monologues directly to the Side camera. Tribes, yeah. And uh, he reveals it that he's been diagnosed. Like subtly reveals that he was been diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. malignant, and. Uh, He's talking about how it's a, it's a result of that Agent Orange, and it's just it's a powerful scene, um, um, and it's just a fact of you know the war and what happened to a lot of people. And if it didn't kill you right away, then uh, a lot of people still got cancer from what they were exposed to. And you know, Paul was speaking about that from a black man's perspective, and just kind of adds to the <laughs> you know they 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 made him malignant. I think is what he says. Mm. Um, just uh, just uh, one one more sacrifice to throw into the mm-hmm. into the pot. Thanks for checking out TBA. You can find us in a few different places. Go to Instagram at All Swede Collection. That's A H L S W E D E Collection. We're on Twitter at All Swede Collect. We're on Medium at AllSweedCollection.medium.com. We have blogs. We've written about some of the issues we talk about here today. So go on over, follow, comment, rate, all that. Back to the show. See, they bring up Angela Davis, uh, Milton Olive, 
We have the Kent State and Jackson State protests where I think some people died. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a protest at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, he brings up Ho Chi Minh, who I think just kind of took over Vietnam once the, once the war ended. I, I, again, I'm, I don't know anything about history, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we have... Uh, LBJ and Nixon that shows how LBJ does not pursue a second term and Nixon resigned. So it's like these two presidents that were Vietnam presidents didn't last. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't last. We have the napalm bombing that shows that classic mm. picture of the naked children that are kind of burned from napalm. Wasn't ready for that. Right, right. Uh, it shows Sa Saigon refugees. And that's just showing, you know, what, what the Vietnam War was, really was just a huge failure and a whole lot of evil. The power of media too was kind of what stuck in my head too. That was kind of like their social media dawn, like how this with the social media era, it's this new era of cameras and visibility. Where for them, it was kind of that same thing where they were kind of just getting TVs and more houses, and everybody was being able to see footage. And then so they went over there and actually shot that. And the, this was before the military and the government knew better than to let, you know, the media mm -hmm. show this stuff directly because mm -hmm. that's how they ended up being able to get them to pull out of there is when everybody started seeing what was really happening. And they're like, oh, no, I'm not I'm not for that kind of war. Well, yeah, I mean, television was the first Internet, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. It was that first exactly. evolution of and I was just thinking about this the other day or um, or the second to radio to radio you know? yeah. uh -huh. although then you can say like i guess print yeah, yeah but yeah. um but really it is those four things uh -huh. essentially uh -huh. um radio doesn't come until late 19th early 20th century and then uh, tv comes in about the 40s and um although film comes in like the 1900s so film came before television that's another that's another one um you just hit me to that i did not even know yeah that. yeah yeah Okay. The turn of the 20th century is when films began to be made. Or early 20th century. and um, Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. They like got like that movie with the, with going the moon and the, 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 the rocket through the moon. Um, of course film came first. Uh, then television came with like 40s and 50s. Uh-huh. Um, and then the internet came in the 90s and 2000s. But what, what the thought that I had about this the other day was like, it was that, thinking about Ahmaud Arbery and also George Floyd and like everything that we're seeing now is just mm -hmm. being captured with 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 a smartphone and how this is this, this new reality that we live in, which is causing pretty much everything that's happening right now. If you mm -hmm. really think about it, so yeah. then the question is, it's just like, God damn, what did people get away with before television even existed? A lot. I mean, you could literally do anything, and if cops and if you knew that it's just going to be a racist police force, I mean, it's just it's it it, it terrifies me to think about how life was. Before television, let alone the internet. Dangerous. Existed. That's Rodney King. <laughs> well, I guess that was during television, so. Yeah, but let's say, like, we go back to the 30s yeah. and everything before that. I mean. Yeah, the sign says that it has been getting continually safer and safer. Exactly. And I believe that, you know, visual footage is a large part right. to do with it. It's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah, remember. Remember that for everybody that always talks about how things are always getting so much worse and mm. more dangerous. Like, I can't stand when, when 50 year old <laughs> white people say that Chico used to be so much nicer oh, and yeah. safer. No, no, it didn't. People were getting God shot damn. long a time ago, and they were Chico, turning cop bro. cars over. <laughs> The, the neighborhood I'm in now it was a shit show. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep at night if I lived over here back then. I remember they had like 
on Halloween, they would shut down like five blocks and yeah. just let them have it. <laughs> like, do whatever. And I'm not saying I was there, but I heard some crazy stuff was going on in those in those blocks. Yeah, I just really wonder, and you know, I'm sh- there must be some literature, some good literature on this, but I really wonder how bad precincts were before the internet and before TV. Oh, did you when read you that could get away with fucking anything? Did you read that paper that I wrote by chance? No. On the history of policing? No. So yeah, the history. I just did a brush up on on my research and of that. And yeah, man, the history of policing. Turns out a lot of these police stations started off as like uh, indigenous hunting and, and bounty hunters or whatever and, and slave patrols. Like literally the same stations that they use to this day, like South Carolina and St. Louis. Like I was I was researching a lot of those stations. They're, they originated in, they were legally doing all kinds of stuff. So it didn't even matter if you had a camera or not. It was legitimate to just get away with with craziness unbelievable where can people read that uh, oh that paper um on uh facebook okay so your facebook is is public yes okay yeah i highly recommend uh anyone go follow Corey on facebook uh i'll just continue to kind of rifle through this stuff and just just chime in if, if you want to stop me for sure um it was beautiful it's one of the one of the one of the good things really good things about this film was the cinematography um, and, and how, how beautiful it looked. Really great job by Spike Lee on that. It was filmed in Thailand. Okay, okay. so it wasn't Vietnam. I'll just take this chance to uh, <laughs> do a little aside on some of the flaws of the movie. Uh, mm. There's no way in the world they're finding that gold. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect timing. That thing is big they find the gold. I wrote this. That down. whole aspect of the movie was tough. Which he did, but he didn't care. That was a tough little, little few minutes. Um. Anyways, I counted. They found it eight minutes into their trip. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, movie that minutes. Was re- movie oh, minutes. the way that he found it. Oh, I'll let I'll let you uh, do the uh, chronological <laughs> of it. Goodness gracious. Yeah, man. Just he ends up going to take a piss <laughs> and shit, or a shit, yeah. and he's about to shit on the gold. Come on, bro. Come <laughs> and then they on. just find all of it. It's like fifty years later. Like that stuff would have been so washed up or buried. Like it was so. like six inches beneath the ground. Um, on the note of the gold, uh, one of the movies just made me think of was Three Kings. Have you seen Three Kings? Long ago. Okay. The Spike Jones movie, Ice Cube's in it. Uh-huh. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, George Clooney. Um, where it's that's that's the exact premise of that film, although it's an entirely different film. Uh-huh. Is that they they're they're looking for some gold. Um, aren't we all aren't we all? <laughs> the other uh, um, film that I that this reminded me of was Glory, which mm. was probably the most prominent kind of black soldier film. That I can think of. I don't know. Are, are there any others that that come to mind for you? I mean, there are black characters in Apocalypse Now and Platoon, but that those, you know, the you know, Glory. Although Matthew Broderick is the lead, I mean, that that's like that's about black no, soldiers. yeah, that's like yeah. that's like top of the top of the top of the line. Um, I can't think of any. Off I feel the top like of this and either. Glory are like the two. I know when War. I get home, I'm gonna be like, "Oh yeah," Black but uh, off the top of my head, I can't, cannot think Let's of one. Oh yeah, they're a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Red tails, 
Antoine Fisher. Mir- I've never seen Red Tails. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, that's about um, fighter fighter pilots. Um, Miracle at Saint Anna. I haven't seen that. Buffalo Soldiers. Okay, seen so that. that that's that's a common theme. We have Courage Under Fire. Yeah, see, like Courage Under Fire, Crimson Tide. Those aren't like yeah, that's black not soldiers. the same. No. So it's pretty thin. It is Red Tails, Miracle at Saint Anna, I think, and then Buffalo Soldiers. Then we got Glory, and then I'd say this one. Want to see some clips? Do it. Uh, the first clip I wanted to go to was when Delroy's character Paul reveals that he is who he is. I'm the real man. We get back from now, we didn't get nothing but a hard damn time. Folks called us big, we killed him. See, I bought into all that bullshit. How's your life change, huh? Yeah, right. Time we got these freeloading immigrants off our backs and built that wall. Negroes better wake the fuck up with the quickness. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tell me that you voted for President Fake Bones Bird. Yeah, I voted for him. Oh, bro, that killed me, right? <laughs> I thought they were talking about Gregory Cheadle. You know who that is? <laughs> so he's... You watch. Those signs are great, thank you. I mean, back in the day, being a brother meant something. Yeah, man. Yeah, and we yeah, fought man. against the man. We loved one another. Yeah. Hell, we became ace, boom, coon, blood brothers out there in that damn jungle. Preach on. Yeah, the dude, so, I don't know if that was, that was interesting that they showed this guy that was at the Donald Trump rally. I don't know if they were trying to say that this character from the movie was that guy. No, 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 no. no. Okay, no, 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 he was comparing him to him. He said that. It was just a comparison. So when they started saying that, I thought they were talking about the guy from Reading, who I actually know. Tell me about it. Greg Cheadle. He's like a local politician out in Reading. And he was the guy who Donald Trump was like, my African-American over there. So I thought that's who they were talking about. I was like, oh, no. And then they showed this guy. I was like, oh, no, there's another. So, yeah, man, that was a super exciting moment for me in the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, so this guy was just a guy in the background. Uh-huh. It was just the, the, one, the one black And then there was, so there was the one guy, and they blacked out his eyes. So, yeah, I guess it wasn't supposed to be him. But then there's another sign, and you're looking, you're like, well, where's the other black person? And it's like his white wife or something yeah. like that, and she's got blacks for Trump. You're like, lady, you're not even black. So, so Greg Cheadle's his name? Yeah, so, Gregory Cheadle. And what, what did Trump say again? So he's he Gregory is like the black? one, he, my African American. He's like the <laughs> one black guy at the rally in Reading, obviously. And he's like over there doing whatever he's doing and, and pumping it up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, there he is. There's my African American. Uh, one of the uh, many uh, infamous moments of the Trump presidency. Uh, Reading is uh, about 70 miles north of us. We're in Northern California, mm-hmm. a slightly smaller town. So it's, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting that happened in our hood. The other thing that happened in our hood was that he uh, called Paradise Ooh, pleasure. pleasure. Probably could have raked the force if he didn't cut the force budget. But moving on. What was it? Five bloods? All right. So that's Paul. I don't know how many black men there are in America who are like Paul. I'm going to go with maybe about 
the statistics I've seen in terms of Trump voters, it's around like 5% to 8% at the most. Blacks make up 13% of, of the, the population. Total yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like 95% vote Democrat, African-American. Mm-hmm. And um, most don't vote at all, unfortunately. Right, right. The old actors play in the flashbacks. Uh-huh. What, what do you think Spike was trying to do there? I guess there's kind of a... A general. I have no idea what he was trying to do. I thought it was fine though. I didn't. I mean, the person who I was watching it with was like, ha- was confused by it. They were like, "Is this a? Is this the flashback? This because that right. guy's the same guy." Right. I'm like, "That's him, but he's younger." No, but he wasn't younger. They weren't younger though. They still had gray in their beard. Like they, they intentionally did. weren't younger. They did see. So I didn't really pick up on that. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. thought they were a little bit younger, but they yeah, still yeah, were older. Yeah. But now that you mention it, they were a bit old. He, he, he did that on purpose. And at the very end of the film. There's a picture of the five of them where they do like the facial technology yeah, that makes them look younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it's, I mean, it's just it's Spike making kind of moves for people to talk about. It's like my thing was like what he was saying is that they you never leave Vietnam. Like you're still there even when you're an older man, right? That's deep. It never leaves you. So, and I, I think that's exactly what he was doing. I have no clue. That thing went seventy feet over my head, but but uh, that's yeah. deep. I bet. I bet we'll 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 see an interview with Spike where he says that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, um, sitting down this this deal with a French businessman who is helping him kind of get the gold back from Vietnam to America. Um, in a conversation with him, Paul mentions that his grandfather killed Nazis. So it was just kind of a. It just showed me it's just kind of the lineage of of black men fighting in, in all the different wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting because a lot of his rhetoric is like the old white dude rhetoric, you know what I mean? Kind of mm-hmm. like the old racist white dude mm-hmm. rhetoric. So he's literally that character, but, he, but he's just a black dude. And, and there is those guys out there. And it's interesting that Spike chose him to be kind of the, you know, the most um, dramatic role, the most kind of eye-opening role in the whole movie, too. You know what I'm saying? It's like... He felt like the focal piece of the movie most of the time. Like oh, yeah. Great. I think he's. I think he has the most chops, too, though. I think that's yeah. part, of, part, of, part of it. But Spike wanted this guy to be, like, the focal point for some reason. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what yeah, saying? yeah. Why do you think that is? It just makes for good drama. <laughs> it just makes for good conversations. I mean, I don't think that Spike is, like, more black people need to start to be Republicans. <laughs> that's, he's not that at all. So that just speaks to a little more, like, how interesting that decision is. Oh. I think it's that whole non-monolithic thing, right? Yeah, and trying to bridge that division there. You know, what I mean, of like, yo, we're all black folks here. Oh, good point. Good point. Could good be point. Something of that nature. Trying know? to, trying to be like, yo, he's pull, pull in. He's trying to pull in the MAGA people in this movie. That too, both, both sides. Yeah, pull from both sides. Like, yo, these MAGA people, these MAGA people are human, and this is why they are. This is a re- this is a possibility of why they are how they are. Because maybe they went and fought for the country, and they were did this way. The, everything that happened to Paul in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just real quick, in terms of the gold, uh, it was like America was kind of paying reparations to the Vietnamese. I think was the issue. It was a, it was a deal, and they, they didn't want paper money. They wanted gold, mm-hmm. so they were flying gold over there. I'm sh- I'm sure this actually happened at some points. I mean. There's all sorts of stories from Iraq where, like, you know, billions of dollars are lost, like the straight cash transactions and shit like mm-hmm. that. Then, kind of the theme of the movie is that Chadwick's character, Norman Norman, says, like, they find they all these five, the five woods find the gold, and he's like, no, we're keeping this for our reparations. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take this gold and, and put it into the black community when we get back home. 
that is what ends up happening at the end of the film. I think it was even the nuance of that too of just like the power of money, how it kind of corrupts a little bit too. Where oh. people start making awkward decisions and changes their whole perspective. Yeah, well, they all they all go crazy. They all turn against exactly. each other. Exactly. Well, really, I mean, really, it's just. Paul turns against everybody. Everybody else seems to think they could have been just fine. What was up with that one scene? This was one of the gripes I had. Oh my gosh. Uh, what's his name? The one who I kept thinking was Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, Tropic Thunder? Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, Norm Lewis who plays Eddie. 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 So Eddie, the one who, who, who went broke and, and finally broke it down to everybody that he was broke. So it comes to the point where Paul is saying that they need to give his son a full share if they want him to carry more of the load. And then Eddie kind of snaps a little bit and is like, that's what you want. He takes out a couple bars and starts waving mm -hmm. it in his face. And then he starts backing up. <laughs> what was There was no, he just, <laughs> he, he had to walk into the limb, right? <laughs> that was so awkward for me. I think I'm just gonna choose to believe that Spike was like, doing these things on purpose. And he does do that, that is his thing. Um, he's not trying to be hyper-realistic. Um, not in this it's film. It's true, in, mo in most of his films, he does have like this unorthodox uh, positioning of, of his storytelling. Right, like Do the Right Thing is not a hyper-realistic film. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, it's, it's an over-the-top and emotional. Are you familiar with uh, She's Gotta Have It? That mm -hmm. one was from, from earlier too, from when I was a bit younger. Mm -hmm. And I think that might have actually been the first actual film of his that I, that I saw. Okay. But I didn't really actually even, I don't remember watching the whole thing because it was just so awkward, you know, and it's really just this dramatic shots, you know, a lot of dramatic shots, and it's really, what's not said is telling a, a mm -hmm. big story as well as what's being said, which I think he did a, a lot in this film as well. Yeah. In this movie, there's definitely a, a lot of it was what was being said, though. There's a lot of dialogue. But there was that scene where he's, like, when he's talking to his son, when Paul's talking to his son, because his son almost gets tricked by, by the uh, prisoner from yeah. Lamb, well, she, she would have tricked me too. I would have tried to I would have tried to smash, but I wouldn't have lost no goal. I would have, uh, he was here. <laughs> Moving along. I just uh, would have been thirsty, man. In the middle of I definitely would have been thirsty. I mean, you're out there with your dad and his friends. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's, one that's, woman out there. that's a fact. I'm going to try to smash. But when they didn't say anything, though, because they were talking, him and his dad were talking, and then there was this time, this moment where they just looked at each other. Where the dad was looking yeah. at the son, and he was just like, for a second, small signs. They looked at each other, and the son kind of looked away, like, yeah. like a like a, a a bruised deer or something. And then the dad was just like, "That's what I thought." It was intense, man. I don't, I, I still don't know what they meant, what he meant exactly, and what he got out of that from his son. But it felt really specific, like he knew, like he really said something and understood something. That yeah, I mean, it was just his. It was just. Like, are you going to stand up for yourself and defend this woman, or are you with me? That's what it was to me. That's okay, what okay. It was. I didn't pick up on it like yeah. that, but when you said that, that's it, that is what happened. Yeah. So what he says, he says, uh, he says, uh, I hate to cock block. <laughs> yeah, when he walks up, right, before he, he kisses her. Right, she's about to, like, you know, escape. They, they were captured by him, by the way. We, we didn't mention that. But uh, he says, he says, I hate to cock, cock block. <laughs> she cute, though. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, money is the root of all. Boom! That's what I meant by the deliberate. That was a bit too deliberate. Like, we could have just went with money is the root, but he got it like so precise. <laughs> it was too perfect for me. 
Uh, let's go continue to go through the list. I think we're ready to come up onto uh, one more scene here. Uh, you good? You good? Keep going. You feeling? Feeling okay. good? Okay. Cool. Um, anything you want to plug while I uh, go to the scene? Uh, where is she? <laughs> <laughs> you plugged. Uh, you plugged uh, your Facebook already. Uh, you're not trying to plug your music. Sounds like it. No. You're trying to make some. Sounds like you want to make a just a hot record. We're gonna get that Derek Banger first, and then we'll come back to that. That's for after the five. We found. Who feel like they're ripping so long? We was the very first people to die for this red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's right. It was a soul brother, Christmas Addicts at the motherfucking Boston Massacre. We've been dying for this country from the very kid. Hoping one day they give us our rightful place. All they give us was a foot of our black asses. Fuck that. I say, the USA owes us. We built this bitch. What you say? I'm saying, we repossess this girl. We repossess this girl for every single black boot that never made out. Every brother and sister stolen from Mother Africa to Jamestown, Virginia, way back in 1619. We get this girl. This would be a great movie for school, you know what I mean? Because it's so There's so many references, so thick, man, with 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 history. Man, that I mean, that scene just is an, is an example of how good Chadwick Boseman is and why I love him so much. That, that man, when he speaks, I listen to. Him. <laughs> <laughs> so the topic there is uh, basically black money, right? So. My last Facebook post, you can follow me too, we'll leave all that info in the, in the bio, is that black money matters and to revive black Wall Street. And I think that as a white man moving forward, you know, there's, there's a million things to talk about, of course, and the police are, are at the very top of all this, but I just, that's the conversation I'm gonna have. And I mean, it's so, it's such like a, all these topics are so rich and deep and we don't know the, the the answers necessarily, right? On how to make certain things happen. But the point is to bring up the topic, you know? Black Lives Matter was, was a topic about, you know, police relations with African-Americans, right? How do we fix it is who the fuck knows until we start to try type of thing. So what, what are your thoughts on that about like a, a revived Black Wall Street movement. Man, I have much educating to do because I am anti-capitalistic, including Black capitalism. Hmm. But I don't like like you were referencing earlier. I don't have the solution of the system. You know, I just see the flaws in this system. I see flaws in certain systems and recognize that that has to be rectified and it can't be rectified within the parameters that are set currently as far as capitalism just because it it's by definition non-regulated and it needs regulation you know and so that right. in itself is just it doesn't compute for me it doesn't i don't see the uh, sustainability in that but um while we are within that system you know it's all about mitigation and so in that response then i can get behind 
black capitalism, if you want to call it that, or whatever, just as far as trying to keep the dollar in the community and, and help build up generational wealth for, for the most, uh, mm. what do you call it, uh, disenfranchised. But I just struggle with it because I'm so anti-capitalist, you know, right. so it's just that weird, like, like how people feel right now that want to do something to help, you know, create a better Supreme Court, but don't want to vote for Biden. So it's really that right. kind of dynamic, you know, it's like you have to do what you don't want to do right now because you don't have the options to do what you need to do later on. Uh, and I love that that's what you brought up because I was just about to, basically I think there's a similar comparison between what's happening inside the Democratic Party mm -hmm. versus what's happening inside Black America mm -hmm. uh, economically, right? Mm -hmm. So we have these, we have your capitalist Democrats, capitalist black people mm -hmm. and any more socialists um there aren't a ton i would say like far right black men and women so oh. as a result that's that's why this parallel kind of makes sense um and that that's that's a battle we're all having it's, it's the biden versus the you know Bernie thing mm -hmm. and and there's certainly some prominent black capitalist voices and some prominent black socialist voices i mean what i'd say to that is that if you introduce something like a universal basic income which is a more socialist concept, mm -hmm. which by the way, we've seen works tremendously well. Poverty went down the last two months because we provided UBI to people, even though unemployment went way up, poverty went down. So just mark that fact for something that we're gonna circle back to as a, as a country in the political future. But UBI is something that could really help black America because high percentage of black America it makes a lower income. So providing basic needs could be an incredible thing for the black community across the board. Spike plays some like old school classical music over some of the scenes. It almost seems a little out of place and like big, like, I don't know if it's Beethoven or Bach or, or what he plays. Uh, it's, it's like dun, 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 dun. And it's over these scenes that are kind of subtle and like pretty. It's like there's a little bit of the Valkyries. That's what that song is, Flight of the Valkyries. Oh, I should have marked that one. I think there's there's a few different scenes. Okay, okay. There's a few different scenes. On that note though, I just read something about Beethoven being black. Have you heard about this? No. I don't know if it was a troll, but I swear to God, I swear to God. Hey, I am, I am not up on my Beethoven look hey, so history. Yeah. It might be, shit, I know. All of our, our dozens of watchers uh, looked that up for me. Yeah, look that up. Tell me if Beethoven was black. <laughs> I think he was. Um, <laughs> now you stepped an extra inch over the line. Now you say you think he I was on board. It wasn't pulled. He's on board, folks. Uh, okay, so we got cops patrolling the neighborhood like a police state. Uh, this is when uh, Stormy Norman's talking a little bit about how he feels when he's back home and how he feels like he's you know, still basically a slave under the police state. So you mentioned 13% of the population today is black. Or like 13 point something. Yeah. Right, 13 to 14. Um, during Vietnam, it was 11%. Mm -hmm. Kind of surprising. I feel like, I feel like that would grow at a higher rate, but. Not um, when you're doing what you're doing to them folks. Yeah. 32% uh, of the soldiers in Vietnam were black. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a brilliant uh, illustration of so that's, racism in America. Right. That's that, that's three times the population. When it comes to most police figures, whether it's arrests or deaths, 
Uh, it's usually around five times the population of the disproportionate. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it was around that same part where they rattled off like all those statistics. Yeah. I thought that was beautiful. So any fucking morons who look at the raw numbers and exactly. say just as many white people were killed as black people last year, slightly more. Two more. How many white people are there in this country? You need to go to fucking math class. Basic math. It's good um, for you. Uh, the Vietnam. Or the Vietnamese beggar and salesperson are very pushy. Mm-hmm. This is when Paul freaks out on a couple occasions against I both of them. I thought it was awkward that they didn't insulate him more. Like if I go, like if I'm, me and you, we go to Vietnam, and I know you my homie, but you MAGA. <laughs> I'm like, but well, this is my boy Derek, but he's got his little racist tendencies certain time and again. You know what I mean? So I'm, if I see some Asian dude coming up on, I'm like, oh yeah, that dude's pulling up on, on Derek. Let me uh, get over there and help that man out. So I thought that was kind of awkward. I mean, it was obviously purposeful so they could create, you know, the, the scene. But that kind of just struck me awkward. I'm always looking at stuff like that. Yeah. Just that doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, 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 man. I think they could have still got that same scene out quicker and it would have actually been more powerful because the fact that, like yes, you said, you a lot of the scenes dragged on. I was like, what? He's spending five minutes on when he's spending a minute. Please. The way that you even brought it up, your, 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 your focus was like, this dude was harassing him, mm-hmm. you know, but really the focus was supposed to, for, from, from my perspective of what Spike was trying to present was this guy's racism, you know what I mean? But it, the way that they shot it made you more focus on the salesman's disrespect right. or lack of, of... So the the question is, is that like a racist trope about a variety of Asian Americans where they're like, you know, really, really pushy mm-hmm. when it comes to, to money or like set sales? Um, I think there, I think that what what I would say about that is that in any community where money is scarce, the salespeople are going to be a lot more fucking pushy. It doesn't matter if it's Asian or or white or Indian or or, or black. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's, it's that, that's really a sign of the economy. I think in those places where you really pushy beggars or salespeople. I think it still translates to a form of racism as well. But not necessarily in that in particular instance, but in that grand scheme of what you're speaking on as far as how economy can put pressure on people and that pressure can then in turn create racist, you know, ideologies and behaviors where you're like, you see a black person and or you're just in business for a while and you see black people come in and they don't buy as often. And so then it creates this uh, prejudice of when you see black people, you don't treat them with the same way that you treat other races that you see spend more money and, and so forth. French exploitation of the Vietnamese is a note that I wrote down here. So the uh, Jean Reno, I think his name is an actor from The Professional. I think he's the one that tells a story about this and Oh, no, no, no. It was the girl. It was the girl. So she's a Bouvier, right? She's mm-hmm. a part of this rich family. Mm-hmm. And she was describing how her family took advantage. Her French family took advantage of the Vietnamese, like, rice. He exploited their land or their, their materials or something. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he made a fortune off of it. So it just made me think of a form of economic, like, you know, economic exploitation by the European Anglo-Saxon. You know what I'm saying? It's like happens in India, happens in Africa. 
Yeah, they're pretty Vietnam. good at that shit. Yeah, they're pretty all over the place with it, for sure. I'm not really even hip onto that aspect of it, so I'm kind of just sitting here okay. learning. Okay, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, shit, damn, there uh, Another one. She worked for a lamb, which was like, what was it, Love Against Minds and Dogs uh-huh. or something like that? Um, I don't know if that's real. I could Google it, but I'm lazy. <laughs> I want it. I feel like it might be real. Because at the end, they do the Black Lives Matter scene. How, how real do you feel it Oh, is? you got it? You got me? It's real. It is real. It's real. I knew it. Because he included it at the end. Like, right before he did the BLM scene. Oh, he see, that. he knew it was real, but then he wanted to act like he didn't know it was real. No, I didn't know. I feel it. I feel it. We're here. We're here now. <laughs> so we talked about... Uh, there's not a lot of subtlety to the flow of the story. So there's some like the, the, you know, there's the good and the bad of the film. So far, I think the good has been the actors, the the visuals, cinematography. Um, the concept itself is incredible. Like if you just pitch me this movie oh, yeah. in a room, I'm like, holy shit, I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Which also leads to a little bit of the disappointment. It's mm-hmm. like, because this, you know, I don't know. He just, I just feel like Spike just could have done... Maybe he should have taken his time a little bit more with this one, maybe. You know what I'm saying? I think it looked financial. It looked like he rushed it. I'm not going to lie. It looked like he said, I'm going to do this. and I don't know. I felt like it was more of a financial pinch. It seemed like a a lot of the things that I felt like fell short, editing, FX, and things of that nature. This was a Netflix movie, though. This Um, is true. This is true. um, Let me. What was the budget on that thing? I I will not be lazy, and I'll actually look stuff up. Here we go. Motivation. Thirty-five to forty-five million. That's a that's a good chunk. It's among Lee's most expensive films. That's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did that come out loud? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Because I felt like, like you say, man, the storyline was amazing, and the information it really made reminded me of like when I write some of my best stuff. When I really just go and research, and then I'll just have like pages of information and then i'm just like plucking it in there but i felt like the plucking it in there was a little shaky as they say on wilding out (laughs) yeah i agree but i I was still okay with that there was other stuff that um i don't know i mean because the quality the actors were hella good too oh yeah it just it just wasn't so i thought about this like should we even do this as the first black art podcast if i'm like bashing on the movie a little bit and I actually yeah, I asked George that I think he's like oh yeah definitely like, <laughs> like that's the point is that George on blast. what and George on blast that was you George we know now <laughs> nah but but I yeah, don't know I think honesty. this movie was not directed that well I'm not but, bang but, 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 bam, bang but. it is what it is it is what it is, folks. That said, I love I, I liked it a lot more in second viewing, and I and I'm open to liking this movie more and more every time I watch. Slightly backtracked from it, but a fellow like me, I'm gonna tell you, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't executed. It wasn't executed as well as as I would have liked it to have been, and unfortunately, a lot of big black films, you kind of I I come to that uh, conclusion, man. Even with like Black Panther. Mm-hmm. It was like a super big blockbuster. And yeah, we had the great this, we had the great that, like the effects, the cinematography, amazing. But for me, the thing that missed with that one, to not get too deep into that rabbit no, yeah, hole, do it, do it. was just that the plot, the plot of that thing was super yeah. soft for me. You know what I mean? As far as for how big and elaborate the scheme was, it was just like big holes, super kind of lazy yeah. and, and choppy. And uh, with this one, 
the they that area was really thick and rich you know what i mean they had mm-hmm. the plot they had the, the knowledge right. and the man, this thing teaches you so much and the actors like uh paul man i think he killed that thing like he really had something to seek his teeth into and he ate it all up but the extent these little pockets no it's just those little pockets of an end scene you know when you leave when you stare at somebody a little too long on instead of switching to the other person that just makes this huge difference of whether you feel it's realistic or not and i I feel like they missed in those areas i mean the movie's two hours and 45 minutes i I I mean come on spike especially since you put the 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 historical references in there so fast Mm -hmm. like i'm okay with that Mm mm-hmm had to do that to, to more of the movie as well. I mean, this should have been a two-hour movie. He yeah. You could have got It drags. Minutes. It drags for sure. And, I mean, I think that, you know, I keep coming back to that, like, word hyper-realistic, which, you know, some directors go for and some don't, and it depends on the style of movie and everything. I think Spike was almost trying to do, like, his Tarantino with this movie, mm. to where he was just trying to make, like, big scene after big scene after big scene, and, like, every scene is iconic. And so, like, I'm not mad at that. And the fact that Tarantino can do that is, like, insane. <laughs> but he kind of does that. And uh, But, you know, they're, they're part of the same kind of class of directors, you know, Spike and, and Quentin. So, for whatever criticisms, <laughs> is, that's not the whole story, okay? There's a lot of good stuff to talk about in this movie. Definitely, no. It was a brilliant movie. Brilliant movie. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to go back and forth. <laughs> it can't be escaped, though, that when you have so much information to try to tie together... You're obviously gonna, you know, miss the mark here and there. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. for what they were doing, they hit the mark. They definitely hit the mark at times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're reminded that uh, French people hate cocky Americans, cocky drunk Americans. These uh, the people looking for the mines and bombs uh, don't like the drunk, um, drunk Melvin in the bar. They didn't seem to like Americans, period. Though, yeah, yeah. Because they, they didn't, didn't like they didn't. Uh, the son either. Yeah, they didn't. And he was, and he, and it was because he was full of himself. But then he comes on later, once they captured him, to admit that he was actually jealous of him because he seemed full of himself. I don't know if he caught that part. Uh, so I the might son, have missed that scene the second time. The son sitting at the table, and the girls all on him, and then the two other guys from Lamb come mm. up, and. The one uh, stockier guy, I don't remember that character's name, but the heavier set fella comes up and he just immediately illustrates his character. just like, oh, your friend's over there drunk. But then the younger dude, he's like immediately just like, oh, wow, wow, this guy, stupid American. And this guy doesn't even know what he's doing, getting drunk out here type thing. So it was an appropriate appropriate, uh, response, I think, to that situation. Because since he was smashing and his girl went to go. uh, Exactly. Get with the get with the, the the black guy in the bar. Hey, I am not one to defend <laughs> American behavior. Oh yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. At about an hour into the movie, they go into the jungle. We're reminded that uh, George Washington owned slaves. Um, they bring up the opioid epidemic with oxycotton. I uh, that uh, you didn't mention that part with the uh, oxycotton. I mm-hmm. thought that was super weird. So they, I don't think they really touched on that very well like they just kind of brought it up in passing or whatever but when he poured that thing out on the ground 
His friend should have came and grabbed it and put it back in the thing and been like, dude, you know you're going to have withdrawals, man. You can't. Because, yeah, if you just dump out some Oxycontin, you ain't going to just keep walking through Vietnam, dude. You're going to be having yeah. crazy withdrawals. And it does seem like there's heroin. So I think that was kind of a missed opportunity teaching moment. Well, that was, a, I mean, that was a cool scene, though. That's Otis kind of showing us how. I mean, he even literally says this at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the line? Uh, I got to go out like a man. Mm. Like I think I think two of the bloods have died already, so there's just two left. There's mm-hmm. just uh, Otis and um, Melvin. When he tosses the oxycontin, then that's him, you know, kind of acting like a man or being like the the mature, Definitely. responsible one. But if you're gonna use oxycontin, this might be the moment to actually have it and keep it, so you can get through the fucking jungle Definitely. feeling okay. I mean, come on. Hey, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that that was very brave of him to pour that out. I guess. Gonna look at it that way. Like I say, though, his friend should have came and been like, "No, bro, because we gonna have to carry you up out of here." Yeah, yeah, exactly. With this gold, Eddie uh, revealed that he loses all his money uh, due to ex-wives, bad investments, back taxes, living large, and drinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just a, a reminder that even if you do become really successful, you can lose it all. And sometimes it's uh, kind of difficult to avoid losing it all. Um, do you think there's something there? You, I mean, this is a character that Spike has chosen, you know, one of, the, one of the five characters. And I think that's significant, and Spike's trying to say something there, too. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, you can go into, you know, athletes, your Andre Risens, and, like, you know, the, the exactly. ESPN, or 30, they did that exactly. 30 for 30 on all that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, too. Like, once you get that money... With no education. If we're talking about getting money and getting money and giving money, you can lose that shit just like that. With no education, it's worthless is what the message there is. You know what I mean? This guy just came up and just because his name got popular, then he was able to make all this money. But then without self-worth, then he was going and doing all these things. I think that was one of the messages there, the self-worth, where he just blew it all because he was doing all these things that people do when they're insecure. All those things that he had listed off. And then there's that message again, too, of just like... It's not all about black, uh, get blacks getting money. It's about learning uh, economic intelligence, intellect, intellectualism. Yeah, I just made that up. You could use that. So yeah, something to think about. I like, I like that. I, I like that he included that mm-hmm. character into the mix. There are a lot of motherfuckers in this movie. Is there? It said. I missed them. Oh, that's that shows my language. That shows my language. I, I would love the count. <laughs> things just came right in and out. I didn't even catch them. That's wild. I would love the so count. So there was a bunch those. of them, huh? Like Samuel L. Jackson level. I just uh, I just saw Matt Damon talking about Goodwill Hunting, where he was like, uh, "Let's try to get to a PG thirteen, uh, and like you're allowed three fucks for to in a PG 13 And uh, Damon was like, "So how many did we have?" And she's like, "147." and forty seven. In Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. They're like, they just use like a filler between pauses, basically. Mm. Fucking, fucking, yeah, a lot of motherfuckers. I'm pretty, my my uh, catch on the F word is pretty dull, I guess. <laughs> uh, the gold was a total of 17 million bucks. I want to spend it on black reparations. Quote, unquote, the cause. That's what that's what Sherm wanted. Or what was his name? Uh, the character that had died. Boswick's character. Oh, Storm and Norman. Storm and Norman, yeah, that's what he wanted. 
But the other characters seem like they kind of wanted something a little bit different. Like no, they yeah, all they wanted to fired. enrich themselves. Yeah. Especially Paul when he walked off by himself. Like, yeah, that's what Storm and Norman wanted. But I'm about to take my chair right. and get up out of here. Well, no, that, that that's a big part of the movie is that they 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 turn on each other even though they're blood. Uh, they start to tear each other apart. Uh, that money is the root of all evil. That gun coming that, in that, is like that fear element, showing how right. fear can break up a strong bond. You know what I mean? The fact that he allowed. Uh, the young lady to give him that gun and bring that in the circle so then when he sleep his fear that he had brought into the circle gets manifested into this thing that breaks up the team in a, in a factory where they're waking him up like what the hell is this well and the fact that Paul is like insane doesn't help either that does not help that does not help <laughs> the more we drink the more we're going to be making fun of the movie so just don't take it personal okay <laughs> Don't take it personal, Mr. Lee. This was already... Mr. Lee, if you ever see this. <laughs> this was already my pr- my perspective coming in. No, no, no. We got to say it. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's... It is what it was. But... As long as we say the good with the bad. Exactly. The good, the the good outweighs the bad. Uh, the They go into the jungle an hour into the movie. The, and that whole journey into the jungle lasts for about 40 minutes until they meet back up with the guide. Um, who we haven't really talked about. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a decent Vietnamese actor. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Let's shout him out. Is he Johnny Gwynn? Is he uh, maybe some like international star? Oh damn! <laughs> he's an what? American star. Oh, he's a stunt man. Oh, interesting. Huh? If that's yeah, that's, that's, that's dope. Cool. And then that's like bringing him from the background. But he didn't even do any stunts in the fucking movie. That's even better. Oh, you gotta use him if he's a stunt man. Maybe he's done breaking bones. He's oh, that cute okay. little face. He's okay. all shaped up. <laughs> he got his little shape up going. He's done with the hard work. Okay. Let him get his face cracking. Um, there's also uh, like a Vietnamese uh, kind of the head of the the gang or whatever it is is trying to take the gold from them, which we have to talk about that plot line at all. But that's fine. That actor, he's also okay. Are you? Um, he brings up Lieutenant Cali and. The something that happens, I think it's called My Lie, mm-hmm. um, where uh, innocent children and babies were killed. Yeah, like American Massacre and My Lie. Yeah. And um, Paul's response to it is just that uh, there were atroci- uh, atrocities on both sides, which is which is true. But um, we're the ones that went over there. Yeah, that's a common deflection tactic I've seen. Like, yeah. uh, but. A but they, whenever you're like, this guy did this, and right. they're like, but they did right. this. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're just, they're just agreeing that you're right, and they're mm-hmm. just bringing up something else. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a funny line uh, from the film, and it's from Melvin, and I think Isaiah Whitlock had most of the funny lines in this movie. What he said, he said, uh, um, Otis is uh, like dispersing the money to the, to the, the, the mine people, oh, and everybody's yeah, dispersing yeah, it around. Yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, damn, Otis, why don't you just put the gold on Craigslist? There it was. Bang. It was good. It's a good line. Uh, I thought uh, that was kind of awkward when they just started. Like, I, I wouldn't have gave those land people no gold <laughs> in that instance. Dude, your man Otis was a, a very equitable. It's about he was. Right, righteousness, what's right, what's just. And I mean, yeah, his. On a serious note, I mean, we talk about, uh, you know, justice is kind of the, um, the, the, the prominent word in in the world right now and mm-hmm. um you know equity equitable justice financially i think is just one of those conversations that's just gonna need to start happening so that's i mean otis represents that 
you know, as well. Indeed, indeed. That's selflessness. And I mean, honest, and that's also kind of, I guess, what Norman's message was from the beginning um, on why, why he, as a squad leader, chose to keep the gold in the first place. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was on point with that. But it, it gets super kind of murky when you think about the whole thing of like, it was actually Vietnamese money at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, th- that, like, that, that, that was, see, and that's an example of an interesting plot line in the film. Like, this could have been a really good movie. Still loved it. Still love it. Could have been. I loved could've it. Could have been even better. I think we're getting toward the end here. We have, uh, yeah, just Otis going in on moral, morals and ethics at the end. Uh, do right just to get right. And I think that's what uh, Storm and Norman said. So that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a line directly taken from near the end of the film. And um, so Spike references do the right thing almost. Mm-hmm. And he says do right, to get right. And the do right, do right, those two words. Those are kind of synonymous with, with Spike. So then the question, then the philosophical question is what is right? But Spike is at least saying that there is a right and there is a wrong. And that's kind of the point. What? Does that make sense? Some people don't think there's a wrong. Okay, I, I take back that some people don't think there is a right and wrong. The question is defining what is right and what is wrong. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's what I meant by that. I didn't mean to put you on the spot right now. Uh, no, no, it's good. Uh, God is love, love is God. This is said by um, Storm and Norman to Paul in like a, like a dream sequence, I guess. Say that again? Uh, he says, God is love, love is God. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, he says a few things into his ear. It's like the, the reckoning for... Mm-hmm. For Paul, where where he where Norman forgives him for mm-hmm. killing him. Was there any scene in this movie that was profound to you that like either got you choked up or you you were just like wow, even if it's one that we've shown already. One we kind of blew by was in the beginning, when the Vietnamese man I t- I imagine in the montage gets shot in the head. Yeah, and I didn't write down his name. That's a that's a historical uh-huh. thing. Yeah. So that really was intense for me because I think that was like the first time I actually seen a real person. Really? Like I don't think I've ever seen that before. Oh wow! So I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was pretty intense, um, and then just the, the historical reference of it and all of that. So that I mean, what that makes me think of is that in the internet era, even on Twitter and stuff. People will show deaths. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, that did not used to be a normal thing. No. Um, I try to avoid all that. So that's that. We what, can't unsee that stuff, man. Which, coincidentally, that's exactly what we're talking about, is video of deaths that were shown Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and, and the others. Like, it's a video of death. Um, so that's why Spike did it, probably. Oh, yeah. You know, he's showing, like, these are the, these are the early videos of death that we saw that were, like, political, that moved mountains um, yeah hmm and I and I again I don't know anything about history but if I were to guess I feel like the vid that video caused some social shift and that's why it's a famous video oh no exactly yeah, yeah. that's the one that's like all those videos is like the amalgamation of right. what kind of created the shift where America did, didn't support and that was kind of one of the first times where America didn't support the military, you know, because it was just already the conditioning right. machine had all the power. And then once that was when the people started getting power, when you started showing that footage and then it was like, wait a minute, we're not we're not those guys when they right. realized what they were uh, complicit. Mm-hmm. So you're, that was your scene. 
that, that hits you? That was one of them, yeah, heavy. And then the one that we had kind of already talked about a bit was with the, the whole father-son thing. That probably was one of the more heavier messages that really was kind of resonated through the whole film as far as just his bipolarness, where it came from, yeah. and how that affects his ability to interact with his son and how his son Re receives that and how that affects him and his life. You know, I mean, I thought they did a real good job of weaving that web for a, gener a double generation type situation. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I want to see more films about black sons and fathers. Like, just you mentioned the power behind it. I mean, I think there's just, there's a lot of story there, you know? There's <laughs> a lot of stories that can be told. And it's emotional as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not, you know, because anyone can obviously relate to uh, relationship between the son and the, the dynamic, or any man, yeah. Any man. Um, yeah. And uh, I love that. I mean, look, those stories that get me emotional like that are, are my favorite. I watch movies alone a lot because I like to cry when I want to cry, you know what I'm saying? And if I'm with a, a friend or something like You can cry in front of me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Let it out. Let that'll it be, out. Then that, that'll probably happen every podcast. I'll cry. <laughs> but my point was, I swear to God, I cry at least once. Uh, with every movie I see, because I'm good at, first of all, I'm good at curating the movies I watch nowadays. I know, like, pretty much 95% of the time if I watch a movie, I know it's going to be good. I, can mm -hmm. just, I know from the director or whatever. So the scene that made me cry, this is going to be a, a reoccurring uh, theme. Uh, a theme for the podcast, uh, was when Otis hugs his daughter at the end. Mm. That was a hitter. Dude, that, that I hitter. mean, that's like, yeah, to me, that's the... That's that the, was the one. And... Honestly, it was because both their acting is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, Clark Clark Peters is an incredible actor. But, dude, my girl she killed did. that. She She's cried good. for real. Like, she murdered that scene. She's the one who It's her real life. You know, she, she was probably feeling that super, super tough. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. she was obviously, you know I mean? She's obviously biracial, Asian, yeah. and black. And so... So she just channeled she her real, living yeah. that, being able to put that on film was probably probably a very medicinal moment for her. Well, that's an excellent place to uh, end the pod. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm, I'm moving too soon. I'm moving too soon. Last clip we're going to show is the clip of uh, Martin Luther King at the very end of the film. Mm. Um, and this is the message that is uh, that I believe is relevant for today. And there's a chance that Spike added this scene late in the, in the editing process due to the current um, protests. I think the BLM thing too, maybe. You think he might have added that? It felt like it. Yeah, uh, it's a little not quite there. Just wanted to show you Asian lady, I feel you. <laughs> well, we can't look at her, so if it was video, I'd be letting it play. Don't, don't <laughs> even trip. To save the soul of America, we were convinced that we could not limit our vision to certain rights for black people, but instead affirmed the conviction that America would never be free or saved from itself until the descendants of its slaves were loose completely from the shackles they still wear. In a way, we were agreeing with Langston Hughes, that black bard of Harlem, who had written earlier, oh yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. America will be, that's the message of the movie. Thanks for coming through. Thanks for having me, brother. <laughs>